Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here in our studio today, a guy from Brooklyn, crossed the bridge. Did you cross two bridges today? Sean Marks, Nets GM. Thank you, nice to be here. You live, am I supposed to give away where you live? Is it in your bio? Is it in your media guide? Can I not say where you live? You can always give Are people be trick-or-treating? Yeah. Will they be looking for you? You live in Connecticut? What's that commute like? There's no easy way to get to Brooklyn. That's no, no easy way, but when we've got, we moved from obviously San Antonio a couple of years ago and with, with four rambunctious little boys <laughs> and growing little men actually, you know, they're looking for, for space and yard and so forth. So that was an easier transition to there. But, you know, I end up sp- spending, you know, you know, multiple nights down in Brooklyn anyway, just with the, the nature of the beast that, that is the NBA lifestyle. So. <laughs> so I was in Brooklyn last night for your pretty close loss to, Golden State. And I, and I would think, Sean, like, if a couple years ago, where you guys were as a team and building it, if someone said, like, Durant and Curry are going to come into your building, they're going to go off 37 and 36 each. And somebody said, yeah, but we'll be fighting into the last minute or two of the game. Not bad, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that you want to necessarily celebrate moral victories, per se, but I, I, I do think... You, you, the case of where we're at in our little life cycle, we've got to take positives away from 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 everything we encounter. You know, what are we learning from that? What are we taking away from that? And you know, it's a chance for you know our young guys to sit there and measure themselves. I mean, what a great measuring stick! You're playing against potentially one of the greatest teams that's ever been put together. So yeah, it's kind of a thrill. Last night, you guys had see to me like this is you know three plus years here now. You've learned like. There's always a little tweaking that goes on. The Nets have always done a little bit with the Knicks. And so, hey, Oak, Charles Oakley's in the building last night. Probably more welcome in Brooklyn than he is at the Garden now. He gets up on your video board and, <laughs> you know, it's like just like any other maybe ex-player, celebrity, pseudo-celebrity that goes to the game. You put him up there in a timeout. And then there's Oak in all his, but only in his Toronto highlights. So I'm sure somebody in marketing probably had to run it past you guys, but... But Oakley, you had to have crossed with him your rookie yep. year. He was in ter- your rookie year in the league. Yeah, you were teammates. Yeah, no. What was I, it like we, to be a rookie with Charles Oakley? Well, we were more than just teammates. I, I was, I was his rook. So <laughs> yeah, he, he had me under his wing, his big wing, and uh, yeah, that was really one of my first sort of encounters into in, like this is how you conduct yourself both on and off the court. And uh, he was terrific. You know, he still is. I mean, we're still friends and still, you know, catch up every now and then. And I, I'm glad to see he's always welcome at our games. So, and that was great to see. It was a different NBA, wasn't it? When Charles Oakley ruled with fear, toughness. Like, what would Oak look like in this NBA, the way the game's played now? You know what? I think his his game would translate for yeah, sure because yeah. you know he started you know as, as his career progressed and you know Toronto he was knocking down threes and so forth. We talk about the, you know how yeah. vital the the three ball is these days, but the intangible things that that Charles brought you know to the locker room. Um, he, you know he was brutally honest, um, wasn't afraid to get in players' faces, uh, staffs' faces, and call them out. Um, you know, not uh, only when it was necessary, though. Um, you know, and I, I respected that. You know, I, I, you had to bring it when you're around Oak. You know, and he was another guy that he understood the culture. You know, he was the first. You know, obviously I was a rookie, but you know, I you'd show up to a you'd show up to Cleveland, and there'd be 
limos outside the uh, outside the Ritz, and he'd say, "Look, limos are coming to pick us all up. We're going over to my grandmother's house. We're cooking. He's cooking. He's making soul food for us. A team outing, and then we'll deliver you back here." So he understood what what breaking bread together meant right. long before it was sort of maybe fashionable and so forth. But um, those moments where you could get the team together outside of the court where trust is you know, really formed. Those are some special times. This Golden State team, Sean, and you're, you're watching them and it's just, listen, you're competing against them, so you're not sitting there watching it like a fan. But there is an appreciation for, listen, the talent level and how they play together and how they share and how guy steps to the front, guy steps back, it, it seemingly willingly. When you think of the Spurs teams, the championship teams you were on in the mid-2000s and really, I think, at the prime of Tim Duncan's career, Mano Ginobili's career, is that one you'd be really curious about, that Spurs team and how it was constructed, how it played, and this Warriors team? You know, that would be a, a heck of a matchup to see those those two teams go at it. But I think there's a lot of similarities from, obviously, the ties to, you know, Pop and, and Coach Kerr and Steve over there and probably the way they're conducting business outside of the court and, and how they're developing young men. That was always you know, a big part of what Pop was, was about in San Antonio. Um, you know, I really think it's interesting to see how the, the superstars on each one of those teams were willing to sacrifice. And, you, you know, you've, you've seen it in the media, you've read the clips of, you know, where Steph Curry, for instance, is saying, Hey, look, I'm, I'm out here having fun. I don't mind if I score 30 or I score 40 or I score 15. As long as we win, they're all about the same goal at the end of the day. And that's what it was like in San Antonio as well, where, you know, you had guys willingly take a back seat. You know, <clears> Tim Duncan, I could be the best power forward to ever play the game and say, all right, Mano, tonight's your night or Tony, it's your night and vice versa. And so when guys are willing to sacrifice for this, this common goal of you know, at the end of the day, we're going to go down as, you know, one of the winningest teams in history, that should be the goal. and That's hard to come by, I think. You mentioned Manu Ginobili, and obviously Manu mm-hmm. retired this off season. I wonder sometimes if Manu gets the credit he deserves for the impact he had, how much he... And you know, people talk about sacrifice in the league, and it's all relative, but from going to, whether it was going to the bench in that six-man role, really, it relatively in the prime of his career... And all the things he did and how he played and the way the spirit he brought to that group and, and, and let's, I mean, a talent level that was all NBA. I, I wonder if like, cause when people look back at the numbers, they go, Oh, the, the scoring, what, like, I mean, Tim is Tim, but, but mm-hmm. after Tim, it's hard to imagine the sustained success and, and how, you know, Manu was still impacting winning at 40 years old. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Simply put, I would say no. He doesn't, he doesn't get the credit. Uh, now I would say this. When he did announce his retirement, what stood out to me was if, if you're, you're following all his peers' posts and so forth, the outpouring of appreciation for what Manu did from other NBA players was astronomical. And the impact that he's had on all today's athletes, you know, that, that'll stand the test of time. And guys have tried to emulate his game and still are. You know, they know, they felt him up close. They're like, man, that guy's, that's a fierce competitor there. And he could do stuff on a basketball court that not many people could. You know, then you look at 
There was probably an 18 month span there where you could make the argument that he was the best player in the world. Hmm. I know that's going on a limb, but when you've won multiple NBA championships, you've won a world championship, and you've won Olympic gold medal, not many people can say, "Hey, I did that, and I did it all in 18 months." What he Pretty did, special. what he did with Argentina's national program to mm-hmm. win a gold medal in the Olympics, I don't know if we'll ever see anything like that again. And he, will, I remember talking to Kobe Bryant about this about Mono's international impact and, and Kobe's respect for obviously competing against him at the highest level of the Spurs. But I remember mm-hmm. talking to Kobe about just willing a program and they went through some tough losses on the way that, that allowed him to elevate that team. But he's a hall of famer. If you just took his international career separate yep. and if you just took his NBA career separate, yeah. like some people talk about, you need to combine them for him to be a hall of famer. And I said, individually each is a hall of fame career. Yeah, no, I, I, to- I totally agree. And, and the stats, you know, the, the points per game and so forth, maybe they don't jump off the page at, you know, at the, you know, at the, at the regular fan out there. But I th- again, I think it goes back to what his peers said when he retired, when they, you know, had to encounter the competitor that Manu is and the guys that played with him. I, I mean, he's, he's a big part of what the Spurs have done, you know, over the course of the last, you know, best part of two decades, you know, and that's off the court, you know, the silent leadership. You know, just like Tim, when they speak up, you listen, you know, but it's how they conduct themselves. Very worldly. You know, Pop loves that. You know, it was a, it was a pleasure to be around a guy like that. You talk about leadership with Oakley and, and what you spent with in San Antonio and being in Miami where it was a different style, but, but it was all very different cultures, but, but all built around winning. And when you walk into your facility every day, can you close your eyes some days and hear it going on around you or see like what it's supposed to feel like day in and day out? Cause to me, I always sense like people talk about culture, but to me, it's like a, it's a thing you fight for every day. You don't just have it and you open up a bottle of it and you go, okay, we have it and it's, I'm yeah. just going to spread it around the building. But is there something you should feel or you do feel when you walk in when it's right? Just the day in, day out work. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and- I think that's something that uh, I'm very proud of what the group as a whole has has and is continuing trying to establish over the course of the last couple of years where, you know, culture is not something that, you know, you look at and you wake up one day and you go, okay, we've, we've arrived, our culture is set. It's continually evolving. It's always changing. It has to be changing, especially when you're dealing with, you know, Generation Z coming in after the millennials and so forth. I mean, you better stay, you know, uh, up to speed with what this next generation is going to want. Um, and you're going to have to do things that, you know, players want to be a part of. It's a player's le- le- um, league. It's got to be player driven. We want to involve them in their decisions. So yeah, when I walk into the facility and if you're right, I mean, I don't often just sit there and close my eyes, but, <laughs> um, you know, I, I think, um, that's something that we could try and control the last couple of years. We couldn't control, um, you know, not having picks and not having that or, you know, or feeling sorry for us, for ourselves in other forms and fashion. But I think going about your business the right way, doing it with really good people that are all up for the challenge. I mean, everybody that came in here sacrificed something. No, nobody just said, oh, great. You know, I'll come here. I'm out of a job. Let, let me come and help you in Brooklyn. These people all sacrificed something to come here, which I think that speaks to itself. And, and then they knew the challenge they were, you know, they were going to encounter. They knew what we were up for. So it's about being creative and, 
you know our culture speaks to that it's you know how creative can we be you know can we be really collaborative in our approach from not working in silos the last thing i want to see is you know a team that's you know going to go through some dark days and it's it's been a a, a tough uh, a tough go the last couple couple of years but at the end of the day it's we're not working in silos it's not the coaching staff versus the performance team versus the front office with different agendas it's guys if we're going to do this we're going to have to do it together that's the bottom line This episode of the Woj Pod is brought to you by SeatGeek. Getting tickets online can be complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. That's why SeatGeek is the place to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets in the one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket-buying experience easier than ever by searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget plus every SeatGeek purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone and I use it all the time College basketball season is around the corner, and I will tell you what I will be on SeatGeek to buy, and that's St. Bonaventure basketball tickets. And best of all, in this entire SeatGeek process, my listeners get $20 off their first purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WOJ today. That's promo code WOJ, W-O-J, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. And we have the tickets. You're sort of finally coming out of this period where you're just like everybody else. Your record, whatever your record is going to be, is what your pick's going to be. Yep. You know, if you have a losing record, you're in the lottery. If you're in the playoffs, you're outside. It's just like, you know, you're not swapping picks. Your pick's not gone. You're, you're just, you're back in the real world, right? <laughs> is that what it feels like? A little bit like you're back in the real world. It, it, yeah. I mean, it's, it's nice to have. The pick back, obviously. Uh, you know, I, I think our group has done a nice job of being very creative over the last couple of years. And, uh, and ownership, I could say our group, and I can include the ownership in there too, because they're going to have to have patience to say, oh, by the way, we're going to have to take on that salary or this salary or, or do things that may not help the win-loss record, but at the end of the day, it's going to help us get that 20th pick that ends up being Karis LeVert. The 22nd pick equals Jared Allen and so forth. So, you know, it's nice to see our toolbox not necessarily full, but at the end of the day, it's it's back to on par with with some other people. So you talk about that process of, you know, there were teams with space who over the last few years, there was almost this, you're in a competition with, there's teams who want to get contracts off. And to do that, they've got to incentivize with a pick. Mm-hmm. And let's say there's three or four or five teams at any given time who are, or sometimes less, who are in the position to, you're all negotiating against each other about what it's going to cost to take yeah. on that contract and for how much money is it worth, how much money going out is a maybe two seconds worth, is a first-round pick that's in the late 20s. Like you were in a constant state of evaluating mm-hmm. that. Like how much goes into and how much is just in the end instinct about what the market will bear like – 
what makes sense, what's the right price, and and I guess you never know. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's that's certainly helped us, and we'll we'll hopefully continue this well into the future here, is maintaining flexibility and not you know skipping steps and jumping the gun here a little bit. So you know, every team has its own. Um, you know, cost matrix and saying, Hey, this is what it's going to cost. Us. This is, this is what the cost of acquiring that guy. And we'll, we'll, we'll do it for, you know, X picks and so forth. Um, you know, for us, you know, I think with a coaching staff that has been, uh, has proven that development is, is what they're really, really good at. I think that's enabled us to say, Hey, look, let's try and take on this young buck that maybe people have forgotten about or, or take on this vet and, you know, let's put him in here with our coaching staff and see what they, see how they can develop him. Let's get him back out. Let's see. There was something special there a few years ago. Is it, is there still light at the end of the tunnel? And, uh, I think the performance team has done, you know, a, a remarkable job with that as well. So you mentioned Karis Levert and people are starting to see him develop into the player you hoped he'd be. And it was like, you trade Thaddeus Young to Indiana, you get the 20th pick. My sense was you were targeting Levert. And again, if Levert is healthy at Michigan, you probably have no chance to get him yeah. at 20, and that's where you're banking. But we've got to get this guy healthy. Yeah. Um, we've got to believe medically that foot injury. Um, and I think he had the same doctor as Brooke Lopez, so you had some mm-hmm. some understanding there medically, right? But like a lot of things sort of fall into place and decisions are made to get that pick, to take some risk on that player. Mm-hmm. That again would have clearly been in the lottery if not for maybe some of that uncertainty. And then you see him now he's becoming what you'd hope he'd be. Like a lot's got to go into that for Karis Levert to be here. A hundred percent. And I think first and foremost is, you know, we have to outline exactly what you just said that to ownership. We said, look, we're going to take a guy, the 20th pick, and likely he may not play for a year or he's going to be, it's going to be a slow road to getting him back and to have that type of patience and to maintain that flexibility, um, you know, with what Michael, you know, bought into was, was terrific. And that enabled us to say, look, Karis, don't worry about summer league. Don't worry about the start of the season. Let's not worry about December, but let's try and get you, you know, fit, healthy, strong, um, and work on the things that need to be worked on, uh, and get you up for, you can play the last, 20, 30 games of the year. Uh, and obviously that was frustrating for, for Karras because he's an extremely competitive young man. Um, but at the end of the day, you, you bet on the individual. You bet on the character fit. And you know, he's a guy, to, to be quite simple, after um, sitting there and you know, interviewing a couple of times, you go, yeah, I want to bet on him. Sean, you, you have the ability this summer, if you wanted, to create the space for two max slots. Um, you could split it up any way you'd like. The research you guys do on free agency and, and, and understanding not only who's available, but what it is that players want, what mm-hmm. agents want. You have the New York market. You're in New York. That's helpful. History has shown it doesn't just give you anything. Like mm-hmm. it, like history shown, like guys aren't just going. But if things are right, it's it's more attractive. Like all the work you guys put in, you have found out what is it we need to show people to convince them that this place makes sense for them. Mm-hmm. What, what do players want, do you think, now? And is it any different than what it used to be? Yeah. Well, you sort of, you touched on the market. And, uh, I think now with, with social media and so forth, the market, um, 
may not be quite as big uh, as it once was. However, you know, there's nothing like playing in, you know, in Brooklyn, New York, you know, the LA's. The difference is we, we all have the money. We all have the space this year. So it'll be interesting for us. Um, I think for one thing that we're trying to show is, and it's, it's been written about, it's been said that guys compete. Our guys compete on a nightly basis. And that's going to be really important because whatever free agent is looking at you, whether it's this year, next year, five years from now, nobody wants to come to a situation where they think, man, I'm going to have to carry this load. You know, they're going to look at it and say, look, who are the young guys I can play with? Who can take something off of me? Who do I want to play with? What's the system that I like to play in? I think people love playing for Kenny. You know, he's a player's coach. Um, and I've said it before, the sweat equity that our guys put in is remarkable. You know, and, and that's, you know, I could, you, know, you mentioned before, I could walk into our facility, close my eyes, and there's work being done. And that, to, to me, I'm very, very proud of that. I, I love the fact that, you know, all our coaches are out there, again, putting in that sweat equity. Our guys are getting better. Our guys are improving. And that doesn't matter if you're 19 or 20, like our young guys, or or you're 28, 29, 30, like some of our older guys. You know, Kenny's always been about, like, you know, how can the staff here maximize your potential? How can we take what we saw in you and add this little bit to your game? And I think your know, players are smart. They realize, like, hey, look, I, if I go there, I'm going to get better. When you took over in the job, and the Nets really, I mean, we're in a, I would say a historically low place based on not just the roster and cap situation and all those things, but just no picks going out. There hadn't been anybody in that situation. <clears throat> How do you think the rest of the league viewed, whether it was agents in wanting to have their players in Brooklyn or feeling like you said, yeah. it's a place where a player can increase value. What was your sense of how the organization was viewed and you said, I've got to show them differently? Yeah. Well, that was one of the things I, when I, when I came in here and obviously came in with, with a great group. A lot of people believed and, and they're pushing me. They inspire me every day. It's not just, definitely not me in a corner office making these decisions. So I think everybody coming in here, having that little bit of a chip on their shoulder, embracing the challenge. You know, nobody is going to feel sorry for the Brooklyn Nets. Nobody's going to feel sorry for any other pro franchise. You know, we're all competing against each other. Um, you know, I think the proof is going to be in the pudding at the end of the day when, you know, we sit there and say, hey, look, our scouts did one heck of a job. They, you know, they found this particular guy. Our cat people did a heck of a job because they've orchestrated this particular deal or that deal or, you know, help us acquired this draft pick, you know, through taking in salary or whatever it may be. So there's, there's a group of people that have all bought in to this. Um, you know, and the feedback that I've had is, has been really positive, you know, from agents, from players. They see that, you know, the tide's turning and there's been a change. But having said all that, there's absolutely no way we're going to sit here and go, you know, Woj, we're, we're good. Our culture's good. We're, we've developed players. We've done enough. I think, you know, from, from Kenny and I's standpoint and the, and the whole group, we know we have a long, long way to go. And we're always curious about, hey, could we have done something better? Could we have done this differently? What could we have done differently? What are other teams doing, other franchises doing out there? Sean, you, you mentioned ownership, and, and there's a transition undergoing here over some period of time to Joe Sy, who has now bought in as a minority partner, may become more than that over time. Uh, how much do you deal with him now? What's, what's been it like building a relationship with him and getting a sense of what 
he could ultimately be like as as an owner down the road for the Nets. Yeah, like I, I'm not sure when that transition ultimately will will take place and and the and the for, in what form and fashion. But at, at the end of the day, it's been it's been great to get to know Joe and his family and, and the group that he has around him. You know, I think we're very fortunate to be honest with that, when we've got Michael, who's done an you know, been an amazing owner uh, so far, and and, I, and I've I've loved learning a lot from him. I mean, you know, when you've got you know these business tycoons like Michael and and Joe here, uh, I'm learning a lot from them how they're conducting their business, their daily business, which is great. And then obviously Joe will bring a different dynamic. You know, he'll bring a completely different market to the table. Uh, you know, when he completely you know completes the transaction and t- and takes over, and that too, that'll that'll be terrific. You know, to to come into that China market and so forth. So. Um, but to continually keep these, you know, both Joe and Michael and their groups up to date, they've shown amazing patience and buy-in in terms of what we're trying to build here and what we're going about. Um, so it's great having everybody on the same page from top to bottom. This episode of the Woj Pod is brought to you by Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy. It's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. It has a simple design with data presented in an easy-to-digest way. With Robinhood, there are no cost or no commission fees, while other brokers charge up to $10 for every trade. Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. Trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Easy to understand charts and market data. Place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. The Robinhood web platform also lets you view stock collections and analyst ratings of buy, hold, sell for every stock. With Robinhood, you learn by doing. Learn how to invest as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, and track your favorite companies with a personalized newsfeed. Custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help build your portfolio. Sign up at wogepodcast.robinhood.com. That's wogepodcast.robinhood.com. Sign up now. One thing that you tried in a couple of different years in the restricted free agency market uh-huh. You had the offer sheet for Alan Crabb, and then you end up trading for Crabb over a year later and offer sheet with Otto Porter, Washington matches, and he <clears throat> goes back there. And I think you discussed some others, some others that didn't necessarily come about. <laughs> that being on the side of the process you are where you're signing a player to a big offer sheet, is there anything more – it doesn't necessarily inspire a lot of goodwill around the league. You have to so right? There's got to be some, like, your stomach is like, all right, like, man, they're going to be pissed or they are pissed yeah. and you just have to deal with it. It's not, it's not really a pleasant process, is it? No, it's, it's definitely not a pleasant process. However, that's the nature of the beast, yeah. you know, and I, I think if the tables were turned and I was sitting here, you know, and I had all these first round draft picks and franchise players and everything else going and, you know, and somebody else was going to drop it off a sheet on one of my guys. I'd say, well, that's that's the nature of the beast. How do we stop this from happening? How do we how do we want our guy to sign with us if we want him that badly? Um, you know, I will say this: I won't name the guys, but I had two Hall of Fame presidents from other teams 
come up to me after one of the offer sheets. You know, we, we'd, we, did, we were unsuccessful on mm-hmm. getting the offer sheet, but then later on down the road, and they gave some pretty encouraging words that I would have done exactly the same thing. They threw a couple of expletives in there too, but it was great. I mean, to me, and I, and I look up to these guys. I go, wow, okay, look, if they've gone out of their way to tell me that, I don't feel too bad. So, <laughs> you, you talk about player development, Sean. Like, and, and you say some guys who, guys almost getting like a second wind in their career. And can you find those guys? Spencer Dinwiddie is a mm-hmm. player like that who, you know, I think injury coming out of college, probably drafted lower than may have gone, bounces around a little bit, gets healthy, and all of a sudden, like finds himself with your organization, you can see him getting better, and you guys will cycle through so many guys. And here comes a Spencer Dinwiddie, yeah. here comes a Joe Harris. <clears throat> and Joe Harris is a guy you re-signed. Spencer Dinwiddie is a guy that I think under the right circumstances you'd, you'd like to keep as a part going forward. Those, to me, like when you're rebuilding, you've got to find some of those yeah. guys. Yeah, and it's getting harder and harder to do that. You know, I mean, the world is coming smaller and smaller and smaller, and, you know, Every team is looking for the same sort of little diamonds in the rough or the reclamation projects or whatever you want to call them. So we're, we're certainly fortunate. You, the two guys you mentioned, Spencer and Joe Harris, very fortunate to have those two guys, you know, on our team. You know, they've bought in hook, line and sinker to everything we we're about from a development, you know, phase. And it's not just on the court. It's the stuff that's, you know, physically the performance team is putting hours and hours of sweat equity into saying, Hey, look, this is, this is where, you know, you can improve doing X, Y, and Z. And, um, and to be honest, and those guys have bought in and, and you got to give the players the credit because they're the ones that have done it. You know, they're the ones that are sitting there and putting in extra work and coming in on days off and, 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 you know, taking that, um, the ownership in their own, uh, you know, you know, I guess acceleration coming back from whether it's an injury, coming back from being forgotten about and so forth. Um, and then you got a guy like Joe Harris who sits here and, you know, says, look, I want to resign with Brooklyn and I'll, I'll take far less to do so. So, you know, that's, that's something that's not forgotten about, you know, and I, I think that was, that was great to have one of our first guys sit here and say, look, I appreciate what you guys have done from top to bottom. And, you know, I'd like to kind of see this thing through with you guys and, you know, I'll stay for less. Sean, when you're, especially at the beginning of this and, you're the leader now. You're the general manager. You're in that seat. And everybody in the organization is looking to you about, like, and I think one thing I always sent you would say, I don't want to hear about we don't have pick. Like, we're not going to just keep making that excuse. I'm not going to complain about it around here. We're going to get to work. But especially early on, how conscious were you of, like, you knew you are going to go through some dark times to get out on the other side where there's some light, where every day you just, in your mind, I've got to set the tone around here of how we're going to approach this because we're, we're just not going to walk around here talking about what we don't have and yep. make it, you know, was that something you had to think about maybe more at the beginning? You know, I, I think it's definitely something you think about at the beginning, but you think about it all the time because there's always going to be those moments. I mean, look at our last couple of games, right? Where we're, man, you know, could we have beaten the Pelicans or wow, what a good showing against Golden State. You know, again, nobody wants those sort of moral victories or how, gosh, how close you guys came, um, per se. But, you know, me, like everybody else that works within, you know, 
the Brooklyn Nets, the, there's just no time. We don't want an excuse driven culture. There's nobody, we, nobody's going to feel sorry for us. We're going to feel sorry, f- you know, for each other. And I think we're going to have to find things along the way to s- celebrate the small wins. And those things can come in any form or fashion. But along the way, it's, uh, um, you, you know, it's, it's a developing young men. You're, you're seeing like a Karis Levert, you know, coming into his own. You're seeing, you know, Jared Allen sort of, Eyes wide open and, you know, here he is all of a sudden. Man, I, I do belong in the league. Look, I, I can be a, a big factor here. Um, the, the, the summer workout program that's been player led, you know, with Damari Carroll's the first guy back in the gym, you know, followed by D'Angelo Russell and guys saying, Hey, look, I want to get better. I know I have to do this uh, to succeed. And, and it's, you know, those, they're not making excuses for each other. So we're certainly not going to hold, you know, make excuses for them, and and they should be able to hold us accountable, just like we hold the players accountable. You mentioned D'Angelo Russell, and and what was in in your mind, you and Kenny Atkinson, sort of the plan you tried to put into place for D'Angelo? He comes over, and number two pick with the Lakers. A lot happens in those first couple of years where he's figuring things out in the NBA, but talent was unmistakable. Everybody saw that, and. What was your thought about? Here's what D'Angelo needs from us. Here's what we can give him, and then, and then where you see it now. Well, you know, one thing I learned from my days with San Antonio is there's this, there's a need for tough love and some honest conversations. I think the players, I think this generation appreciates that. They'll look for holes and they'll look for uh, cracks. You know, in the armor per se, and if you know they come to me and ask me one thing, and then they go to Kenny and ask him the same thing and get a different response, then they know, hey, look, these guys, these guys aren't true to their word, and that's it's that, like that parents trick. It works in the NBA. <laughs> does it work in the NBA? <laughs> it it yeah. does. So we're all going to make sure we're on the same page here, and we, you want to give these guys honest feedback. You know, I appreciate it as a player. I think that's the only way to go about it. So as it pertains to D'Angelo, it was like, look, we're going to put you, put our arms around you. This is this we're gonna we're gonna give you love on and off the court. You know, put everything you you know, he he's got to participate in this and you know, I, I think what he's done this last off season with the hours that he spent really with our performance team after his knee injury, um, speaks to itself. You know, that he he's changed his body, he's changed his habits and you know it's again it can only be a player driven culture if they buy in and they hold each other accountable are you always evaluating the line that sort of has to exist between being what's considered a player friendly organization where mm-hmm. it's built around the play? I mean every organization tries to do that you've you want your players going around to the rest of the league saying hey they treat us right because there's no more important you know about free agent recruiting mm-hmm. What are the players on that team saying? Because they're going to tell you the truth. They're going to tell the truth around the league. But the line between that of whether it's services, whether it's making lots of things easier for them that are away from the courts, they can just focus on basketball, versus an accountability that's got to be there. Is there a fine line between those two things? Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think it goes back to, you know, the goal here is, you know, we're, we're a basketball team. But we're developing young men. And I think from my time with the Spurs, when I left there, was I a better basketball player? Sure. But I know for a fact I was a better person because of my time spent around that group of guys, that coaching staff, that front office, because, you know, how they developed me as a young man. And it was a pleasure to be around there. 
So that's the type of player care that we want to bring in here. Now, that's not saying we're just going to let, you know, all the, the 15, 17 guys, you know, run right and do whatever the heck they want. But part of it is about educating them on why we make certain decisions and involving them in those decisions. And that can be simple things to, to the family room dynamic, to traveling on the team plane with a, with a guest, a spouse, a significant other, um, you know, at certain times of the year to some of the hard decisions where you sit down and, you know, we've had to, you know, when you've done, you know, a dozen trades and so forth over the past couple of years, you're going to have to sit there and you're going to be really cognizant that we've got a young group of guys that it's not a revolving door, but guys are having to come in and out, you know, and that's not easy when they see one of their peers, you know, um, traded to another team and a new guy coming in. So you've got to sit down there and explain, hey, look, this is why we made that decision. This was, you know, the organization made this decision because of X, Y, and Z, and you're educating them at the same time. We all know it's a business. I can relate to them on that standpoint. You know, I was traded. I've been in the league. I was a journeyman. I've been around. I've moved my family more times than I'd like to count. But, um, you know, I, I can at least speak the same language as those guys, and I, I do understand those stress levels that, that they're going through. You listed a few examples there of whether it's how the family room dynamic works or traveling on the team plane. Among all those things you mentioned, what's the one like you most constantly have to explain or what's one that you always have to go back to and say, listen, this, we have this in place because of this, but guys just keep coming back home. But like, why can't it just be, is there one? Yeah, I don't know if there's just one. I, I think the family room dynamic, I, I think when you explain to the players, like this is your wife's significant others, uncles, brothers, sisters, that's their century. It's their way that um, during a game, they can come in, they can drop the kids off for the nanny, they can sit down, relax. They want to come out to the game, support you, terrific. If they don't and they want to have the camaraderie in there amongst you know, the other uh, significant others that are having to sacrifice the same things that, that your wife or significant other is going through, that's an important deal. Don't break that. Don't ruin that. You bring somebody in there that may be a 